Thank you, Kelly, and boy, thank you all for coming. Uh, this is awesome to be with you here physically and also all of you who are joining online. I know my wife Sue is watching online. Hi, Sue. Good to see you. Uh, I'm so glad to be here. This is my first time, uh, first Sunday being in this space since March. Can you believe that? Uh, so I'm really glad to be with you. Um, I want to thank all of you who are working so hard to make these outdoor services go well, the worship team, the sound, the tech, other volunteers, and of course the great staff we have. Could we give them all a hand? It's really, uh, it's been wonderful. I have enjoyed watching things online from my home. Now, I'm excited to begin a new a series of messages with you here today. Uh, the next three weeks, we're going to be exploring a question with you. What does it mean to represent Jesus well in a deeply divided nation, I think more divided than any time that I've been alive, where we're fighting a global pandemic, racial injustice during an election year? But I believe we have a great opportunity to be the people of Jesus, to be ambassadors of reconciliation in the midst of these great challenges. Now, during this election season, we already are, and we will be even more bombarded by political messages from all sides. So as a preaching team, we want to be clear. We are not going to be advocating for any candidate or demonizing any candidate. We want to encourage unity, not division. We want to stim stimulate respectful and loving dialogue that will help us all grow to be more faithful and fruitful followers of Jesus. And we want to partner with God and work together for a just society. We want to build for the kingdom of God, which is above all political parties. No party or governmental system can ever fully represent the values of the kingdom of God. Paul tells us in Philippians 1.27, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. That is our primary citizenship. The country we live in is our secondary citizenship, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. So these three weeks, uh, Micah 6, 8 is going to serve as the framework for the messages we're going to speak. And this is Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O people, what is good. And what the Lord really wants from you. Can you hear the kind of passionate heart of God in that? He wants you to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Listen, the Lord is calling to the city. Today, I want to talk to you about loving and doing justice. Before I do that, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you've come to be one of us to be truly human to live among us and you've come to bring justice to this world to bring your kingdom to make everything right between uh, us and God and each other and this created world and our own selves and so we thank you that you're at work doing this and you've won the great victory we thank you that you're working every day by your spirit through your people and we welcome you to work in us and through us to do this in Jesus name amen so Loving and doing justice. This has been an important thing to Mercy Vineyard since its inception. And so I'm going to be building on lots of stuff. And I don't expect any of the things I'm saying to be like actually brand new to you. But I feel like they're worth underlining and emphasizing. So as I prepared over the last few weeks and read, I think, every passage I could find in the entire Bible on justice, 
I was stunned to see how important justice is to the heart of God. So I'm going to talk about it in three ways. Why do I do justice? What is justice? And how can we do this? Why? First of all, God loves justice, and he wants you and I to. Psalm 45, 6 to 7 says this. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with the scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you, putting on, putting on you the oil of joy more than on anyone else. Now, you might remember that this is quoted of Jesus in Hebrews 1, that Jesus loves justice and hates evil. And interestingly, because Jesus did that, is where it says the Father poured out on him the oil of joy more than anyone else. One of the things that I think we'll experience as we commit ourselves to doing justice more and more is a new experience with the Holy Spirit empowering and working with us to do this. Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 21 says this, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He's the great God, the mighty, the awesome God who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners or immigrants living among you. He gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to foreigners. For you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and worship him and cling to him. Your oaths must be in his name alone. He alone is your God, the only one worthy of your praise, the one who has done these mighty miracles that you've seen with your own eyes. God loves justice. He's, he's not neutral here at all. He is on the side of justice all the time. He loves the orphans, widows, foreigners, and the poor. He loves all of us. Now, I want to ask you, think for a minute. When you're meeting someone new, how do you introduce yourself? What, what do you actually say about yourself? Well, you share, you share important things, right? So this is, this is something, this is what I say often. Well, I'm John Marsden. I'm married to Sue. And in eight days, we'll be married for 45 years. Can you believe that? That's awesome. One of the reasons I love the fall is I got married on September 21 at not now what's called the University of Northwestern. It was Northwestern College back in the day. But it was, it was a great time. So we have six kids. We have 12 grandkids. I'm the interim lead pastor of a great church, Mercy Vineyard. So that's part of how I would introduce myself. How would you introduce yourself to somebody as you're meeting them? How would God introduce himself? Well, one way God introduced himself is in Psalm 68. I'm a father to the fatherless, and I'm the defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God loves justice, and he wants his people to be like him and love justice. But sadly, we, his people, have not always loved and worked for justice throughout history. We've often been complicit with oppressive governments and systems of power that have produced great injustice. Example, the church in Germany was conspicuously silent as the Nazi party came to power and unspeakable horrors resulted from their rule. The church in America, predominantly the white church, has been conspicuously silent and complicit with white supremacy and racism for 400 years. God, however, is not silent. He repeatedly challenged his people in the Old Testament to turn from offering meaningless sacrifices and to do justice. Isaiah 58's classic, he says this, declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. 
for day after day they seek me out. They seem, seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today, and expect your voice to be heard on high. Now is this not the fasting I have chosen, God says? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. One version says, and not run away from your relatives when they need help. I thought that was like interesting. All right, okay. We're just people, right? <laughs> um, so it's interesting here. Who is he talking to here? Well, he's talking to people that are worshipers. They seek me out, and they do it regularly, day after day. They, they're people that study the Bible. They're eager to know my ways. They're people that pray. They're people that fast. You know, these are moral people. Wouldn't we, don't we want people to worship? Of course we do. Read the Bible? Of course we do. Pray? Of course we do. Fast? Of course we do. But he says they're missing something. They are not doing justice. Now, James, if you say, well, John, that's in the Old Testament. Come on. Well, James in the New Testament says the same thing. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, this is James 2, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. And you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing? What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Now, don't you love it when God challenges you? Anybody, you ever have God challenge you, speak to you about things that he'd really like you to maybe grow in and change? Yeah, he does that to me all the time. I, I remember uh, years ago when I was working for Northwestern Bookstores, and I had had a really busy day at the warehouse, pulling my stock, manager meetings all day long, and I'm, I'm a hard worker, and I like to be productive, so I was booking it all day long, no pun intended, bookstore. Anyway, sorry, uh, <laughs> I have worse ones than that, believe me. Uh, anyway, uh, so I, got, I was driving in to unload my stock at the store before going home, and all of a sudden I felt God said, I want you to get off the back of your children, and it shocked me, like, I, we weren't like talking about that at all, it was like out of the blue, and I, I just was stunned, and I said, what? He said, yeah, you know, you're always focused on what they do wrong, and you miss so much of what they do right. I don't do that to you. I don't do that to you. I'm not on your back. I'm, I'm, beside, I'm on your side to help you. I just cried. I'm a crier. I said, oh, Lord, I don't want to be that kind of a dad at all, ever. And he said, it's okay. That's why I'm talking to you about it, because you can change. You can grow. You can develop. You can be like me. And I said, well, how am I going to do that? <laughs> You know what he said? Ask your wife. <laughs> so, 
so I get home, and after we put all the kids to bed, I asked Sue, and she smiled, and she said, you're a wonderful father. I said, come on, tell me the whole truth. You're a wonderful father who needs to grow. Okay. <laughs> and so I've been trying to grow as a dad and grandpa ever since. You see, God challenges you and I because he loves us, and he wants us to grow up. He wants us to become like him. And he encourages us. Here's, here's the rest of Isaiah 58. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you'll call, and the Lord will answer. You'll cry for help, and he'll say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, the pointing finger, malicious talk, if you spend yourselves on behalf, in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. Don't we want that? Don't we so need God guiding us right now? Don't we see, need light in the midst of dark times? He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. Anybody need strength out there? Physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally. Don't we all? You'll be like a well-watered garden. Anybody need refreshing today? Like a spring whose waters never fail. And then as a consequence of all this strengthening and refreshing and guiding and light coming... Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Wouldn't it be good to be known like that as the people of God? Oh, they're the repairers. They're the restorers. They're the ones that have come to help us. As I read these passages in Isaiah 58 and James, it seems to me that doing justice is a primary sign that you and I have real and living faith. It's kind of like a reality check to me. So that's why. Why do we do justice? Because God loves justice, and he wants you and I like him. He wants us loving and doing justice. What does it mean to love and work for justice? There's a Hebrew word for justice. It's mishpat, M-I-S-H-P-A-T in English, mishpat. Can you say mishpat with me? Mishpat. Okay. Uh, it's used over 200 times for justice, and it's got a full sense of justice in it. It means things like to treat people equitably, equal treatment for all, no matter what race or economic situation. Exodus 23 says you're not to show favoritism to the poor or to the rich. You're supposed to judge equitably, to give everyone their due. It also means to actively make things right, to fix things that are broken, to punish wrongdoers and care for the victims of injustice. So give equal treatment to its all. It's interesting. Two of my favorite vineyard preachers describe justice this way. Justice is love in action, or justice is loving out loud. Now, I read an article in the Star Tribune last week that said this. It said, most black Minnesotans never fulfill the dream of home ownership. Only 24% of black households in the state own their home, compared to 77% of white Minnesota households. This is one of the highest disparities in the nation, according to Minnesota Compass. Now, Minneapolis, the black ownership rate is the lowest of any metro area in the United States with more than one million residents. I was shocked when I read that, and I felt ashamed when I read it. Not in Minnesota. We're, we're nice people here. Not in Minneapolis. 
Can I just say to your friends, it should not be this way. This is not the way God intends his world to function. This is not a just society. Now, he's working to make it a just society, and he wants to recruit you and I to join with him. Could we speak up and work for housing reform? Could we love out loud? Now, part of Mishpat is treating all people with giving equal treatment to all, but the other part is showing special concern for those without power. Proverbs 31, 8 to 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless. See that they get justice. Now you might say, well, only speak up for the poor? Why not speak up for the rich? Do you know why? The rich can speak up for themselves, or they can hire others to speak up for them. The poor need a voice. Now, the COVID pandemic has made plain the racial inequalities in our country as black, Latino, and indigenous peoples are hospitalized with the virus at roughly five times the weight of, rate of white Americans. Why? Many reasons, probably. Access to healthcare being one, the kind of job, not being able to work from home is another. Zechariah 7, 9 to 10 says, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Judge fairly, show mercy and kindness to one another. Do not oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor. Do not scheme against each other. All through scripture, we're called to care for what scholars call the quartet of the vulnerable. Widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. Now, immigration's a huge issue. It's, we have a very broken system in the US, and it would take many talks to talk about it. But I will say just this. As we think about immigration, who does God lean toward? Does he lean toward the immigrant or away? He leans toward. How should you and I lean? Toward or away? We should lean toward the immigrant. Many other things to talk about there. But let's, let's agree on our lean. That's where our heart should go. Proverbs 14, 31 says, Those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. And if you give to the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he repays all his debts. God identifies with the poor. Jesus identified with the poor. Jesus came from a family without power or privilege. When he was circumcised, they gave an offering. And remember the offering? It was two pigeons. That's the offering of the poor. Jesus didn't have a lot of resources growing up. And when Jesus was a baby, what did, Moses, what did Mary and uh, Joseph and Jesus need to do? Herod was going to kill all the male babies. They escaped to Egypt, and they were welcomed as refugees. Don't you think Jesus was glad that the, and G, that the Egyptians welcomed him and his family? Jesus grew up in a single-parent household for most of his life. He knew what it was like to be low on resources. He came, and he was oppressed and experienced a completely unjust trial. He came to bring good news to the poor, to bring justice, and he wants you and I to follow him. Why do we do justice? Because God loves justice. What is justice? Justice is, is giving equal treatment to all and showing special concern to the poor. Where do we start? How do we get going? I would say one, three things. One, we can learn. You can educate yourself. I'm trying to educate myself about white privilege. Uh, I'm an old white guy. I just am. <laughs> I never thought I had white privilege until I began to read and think about it. I've had so much privilege in my life, so many opportunities, so many doors just flew open to me. 
You can educate yourself. You can educate yourself about racism. And I read White Fragility, and truth be told, I got mad a few times when I read it, and I was arguing with her. I mean, I do that. I argue with books. I argue with the TV. I, you know, I don't know. Anybody like me out there, when you get stirred up, you respond back even if people can't hear you? My grandkids tell me all the time when I'm correcting umpires and helping them make better calls, uh, they can't actually hear you, Grandpa. That, that is true, Kate. Thanks for the reminder. Uh, but you can educate yourself. One question I'm not asking myself anymore is, am I a racist? Because that spins me off into a yes or no. I'm not, I'm not part of the KKK. I don't wear a white hood. Uh, I'm not a white supremacist. And then the discussion ends. What I'm asking myself now is, how am I a racist? And how can I change? How can I grow out of that? You can become an anti-racist. You can speak up against racism when you have the opportunity. You could educate yourself by taking Loving Across Difference class that Ruthie Johnson leads, and will be part of that Mercy Wednesday classes. You can learn. We can give. Now, I don't have many stories of doing justice. I want to have many more stories of doing justice. But what Sue and I have chosen to do is to give as generously as we can to those who are without power or resources. We have been supporting six children in Puerto Vallarta through Vineyard Child Sponsorship for many years. For $15 a month, we're able to provide a nutritious meal for a child, a Bible class where they learn to worship, learn about Jesus, receive prayer, give prayer, a pair of shoes and school supplies so they can go to school. In Mexico, if you have multiple children and you cannot provide shoes and school supplies, you have to pick which kids get to go to school. We're trying to help so a whole family can send all their kids to school. You can work for justice by giving generously. Why not set aside a certain amount in your personal family budget for doing justice? Maybe you already have. That's wonderful. Maybe God's going to stir you to increase that budget a little bit. You could give to our COVID care fund. Because of your wonderful generosity, over $40,000 has been given. Isn't that awesome? And I think at this yeah, you, let's, let's clap. Let's give God a hand and give each other a hand. I think we've, we've maybe we've, we've shared already about 27,000 and helped families. That's awesome. And we can do even more. There's more opportunity coming and there are more needs coming. And we can serve. As Kelly mentioned, we can come. You can partner with the Sheridan story and pack, uh, do back to school food packing on October 8th. And we can advocate. I encourage you, speak up wherever you have influence with your family, your friends, your neighbors. My, my dear wife is doing this all the time. Uh, she is the sweetest, kindest, she smiles all the time, and she's been sending emails to our whole family constantly. We did find out on vacation, one of my daughters said, you know, Mom, some of, the, some of your sons get a little irritated with your emails. And she says, what? I'm just trying to help. And she said, oh, we all know. And they still get a little irritated. So, but she's speaking up where she can. She's speaking up in book groups that she's in. I encourage you to speak up. I encourage you to vote. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm just encouraging you, vote. Help other people vote. Support candidates who share your convictions about doing justice. All right, we can do all these things. Where is our hope, friends? Where is our hope that this world is actually going to change, that I'm actually going to change and become a better person than you are? Our hope is in Jesus. This is Matthew 12, where God says, Look at my servant whom I've chosen. He's my beloved. He pleases me. 
I will put my spirit on him. He will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. And his name will be the hope of all the world. Our hope is in Jesus, friends. He's come to do this. He's sent his spirit to empower you and I to do this. We will have a world where justice rules and peace and righteousness abound. We will, we're working toward that world now. One great day, Jesus will return and it'll all be wrapped up and it'll be complete. And until that day, you and I have the privilege and the responsibility of joining this great Jesus and doing justice. Uh, I could like to have the worship folks to come back if they can and I'll pray here and then we're going to we'll continue to worship this great God who loves us and as they're getting ready uh, we'll after we worship we'll have communion we'll pray for each other um, as I was I'll say I may remind us again at the end but I'll say it now I read these verses he will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle some of you may feel like you're a weak reed right now you're not as strong as you'd like to be you, you, you kind of get pushed over easily you know, Jesus is not going to crush you. He's going to help you. His challenges are meant for your good and mine. Some of you might feel like you're a flickering candle. Yeah, there's light. Yeah, there's a little fire. But it, it, it's maybe not what you've been in the past or not what you want to be. God can stir up that fire in you. And I believe he wants to today. If you want to stand while we worship, that's totally great and fine. If you want to sit, that's fine too. Let me just pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you are the one who loves us, every one of us, and that you have hope for us. You've come to bring justice to this world, to change our lives, to make us new, like uh, new people, so that we can work with you to see this world changed. Lord, help us as we worship you now and bring our hearts to you. Meet every one of us exactly the way we need. In Jesus' name, amen.